All right, well, I failed to introduce myself when I was up here earlier. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as I look around and see faces familiar and faces I haven't yet met, we're just glad that you're with us this morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. Welcome. Uh, we are glad for the opportunity each and every Sunday to gather as a church family and point each other to Jesus. So, welcome. Grab your Bibles and open with me to Matthew chapter 7. We are going to continue our series of messages in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here in just a couple minutes. So, pull out your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 7. And uh, in a couple of minutes, we'll start at verse 15. Just a quick note for those of you that are paying attention, we got a little out of order the last couple of weeks. Uh, what happened was there was some illness between, on, on some of us on staff, and so we just left the sermon schedule the same, and I went backwards last Sunday to the beginning of chapter 7. And now we're, we're going to skip the couple of passages that uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Jake taught. And now we're going to be picking up at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15. So we don't normally jump around out of order, is my point. We just were flexible because of uh, rearranging the schedule. Is that all right? (laughs) Okay. Well, we um, we are getting close to the end of our series that we've entitled Kingdom Life. As we're teaching our way through Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, what is known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount... And we are nearing the conclusion of the sermon and nearing the conclusion of this teaching series. And last Sunday, when I was up here and we had time in God's Word, our passage at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7 started with these serious words from Jesus, don't judge, don't be judgmental. In other words, it's not our role to condemn others as guilty before God, to declare ourselves right and them wrong. Um, We talked last week about the fact that as Jesus urges us to not judge, uh, when we do judge, when we put ourselves in the place of of judge, being the judge, then we put ourselves in the place of God, and I don't think, I think there's one true judge, and I don't think he needs our help. And so that's where we were at last Sunday, and as part of that message, as part of that passage of scripture, we, we reminded ourselves of this. First, everybody say first. First. Take the log out of your own eye, then, everybody say then, then you will be able to help, maybe, then maybe God will give you the opportunity to help take the speck of sawdust out of someone else's eye. If you didn't get a chance to hear God's word um, preached last Sunday, I would encourage you to... uh, to, to just know that on our website and on our YouTube page and our Facebook page, you can go back and catch up anytime you miss. I just think we get more out of God's word as we gather every Sunday together, as we go through each passage of scripture together. I think we get so much out of it. I think God has uh, awesome things in store for us as we study his word. So if you ever want to catch up, if you want to go back and see what you missed, by all means, please do that. Now, the very Sunday... After I preached about, hey, let's not jab our eye, our finger in other people's eyes, just the very Sunday after I talked about the sensitivity of the eye and how we should be gentle and caring as we go to remove the speck of sawdust, the very week out of preaching, get the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck of sawdust in the other I'm up here without my contacts, having to wear my glasses because there's some kind of problem with my eye. Hey, don't laugh. 
and don't be judgmental. I don't think I'm talking about a sin issue that I need corrected. I think I'm talking, I've got a sore eyelid. I got somebody jammed their finger in my eye, I think. I'm not sure. So I'm wearing my glasses this morning. But that's where we were last week, was don't judge. Jesus wants us to not be judgmental. And then at the same time, we also mentioned this last week, that at the same time as we're saying don't judge, we also don't want to swing the pendulum the complete opposite directing and then just be accepting of everything, whatever goes. I'm not going to consider what you're doing. I'm just going to everything go. We don't, that's not okay either. We said last Sunday, there are times, clearly according to that passage and other places in scripture, there are times where we are to be discerning where we are in situations where we can ask for God's help to be discerning about what is good, what is evil, about what is right, about what is wrong. And so in in a way, as we continue now, we come to a couple examples of times that we need to be discerning. So hopefully you got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 15. Let me read the whole passage that we're covering this uh, today, and then we'll go back and walk through it a little bit more slowly. Matthew 7, starting at verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And then Jesus continues. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Father in heaven, teach us from your word, we pray. Help us not just this morning, but each day of our lives to be in your word, desiring to hear from you. And thank you that for those in Christ, you have given us you, yourself, the Holy Spirit living within us, helping us to understand, helping us to hear, helping us to learn, helping us to respond. So we pray that you would teach us from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 7, verse 15, we starts with, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There's clearly these people, apparently there's this, there's this possibility of people that are going to come across to us as legit Christians, who are going to appear 
in words and actions to be part of God's family, but their intentions are evil. Perhaps they're out for their own benefit. They're out for their own gain, not looking out for the good of others. Um, Perhaps they are trying to lead, very likely trying to lead people astray, coming in, interacting with a group of Christians, acting the part, playing the Christian game, and yet advocating, explaining, teaching, pointing towards someone other than Jesus. Teaching or explaining something other than the gospel, other than the good news of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And if there's people infiltrating, if there's the potential of us being influenced by voices who come in our midst or come over the airwaves of the radio or through the podcast or through the article or through the book that you pick up, if there's potential of these voices influencing us away from Jesus, then we're talking about idolatry. If there's any intention of someone to deceive and to have us put more, put more importance in something or someone other than Jesus, these are false prophets. These are false teachers. What, is, what does the passage then tell us about how to recognize these people? Verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears, everybody say good. Every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad. Everybody say bad. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, and nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So what is fruit in this passage? What is, what is the metaphor here? The fruit is the product of a person's life. All of their words and actions, all they say and do, reveals their character, reveals who they truly are, reveals where they're coming from. And so, so we don't judge, but now God, Jesus, is teaching us to be discerning, to consider the influences and voices that come into our midst appear to be Christian, but seem to be proclaiming something other than the message of Jesus for salvation. So we have this opportunity now, Jesus says, to be discerning. And the way we are discerning is to evaluate and consider the fruit of these people's lives. Is the fruit of their life, is, are their words and actions all they say and do, are they consistent with life in the kingdom of God? As we consider who, what people say, what they do, what they're proclaiming, is their life and message consistent with the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus? Because people that are in Christ, believers in Jesus, Christians, will produce, will increasingly produce the fruit of the Spirit not the works of the flesh. Now, what do we mean by that? If you want, you can flip to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, or you're welcome to just listen as I read it. You may just want to listen carefully as I read it, but you're also welcome to see it for yourself. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 19. If the followers of Jesus, if we're evaluating the fruit of a person's life and it's a true follower of Jesus, then we're going to see works of the Spirit Fruit of the Spirit, not works of the flesh. 
Galatians 5.19 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, as we evaluate, as we discern lives of people that are influencing voices that we come in contact with, the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So now we're back to the Matthew passage, verse 19. It says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is a stark metaphor. The only thing that bad trees are good for is firewood. It's a striking metaphor of the future judgment against false prophets, against false teachers, against anyone that is pointing to salvation in something or someone other than Jesus. Bad trees are only good for firewood. Verse 20 tells us that we will recognize them by their fruits. So again, we have this opportunity to be discerning, to evaluate, to consider what we see of, the, of those that are seeking to be influential. Those, we, we have this opportunity to evaluate and be discerning about the life and message of people and consider is their life and message consistent with the life and the teachings of Jesus. Now, last Sunday we said, we rush to the speck in other people's eyes. We're not really that fired up about doing the hard work of self-reflection and seeing if there's a log in my own eye. We really, really easily see the speck of sawdust somehow in other people, and we rush to do that. So, so yes, do we have an opportunity to evaluate and be discerning and be careful to avoid false teachers? Yes, we do. But we can also take from Scripture here and elsewhere in Scripture this idea of fruit, the fruit of lives, and give ourselves a chance to self-reflect and, and, and examine ourselves and submit ourselves before the Lord and go, what is the fruit of my life? It, it, am, I, am I all about works of the flesh? Am I all about doing my own thing, going my own way, rebelling against God, living out the things that I listed there as works of the flesh? Are those the things that are consistently and increasingly true of me and you? We have the opportunity to self-examine here too. What is the fruit of my life? Or are these things increasingly true of me, of you? Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, not perfectly, not lived out 100% all the time, but if you're a follower of Jesus, submitted to him, rescued by him, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, these, these descriptors, this fruit of the Spirit will be increasingly true of you, all of it. That's the indicator of a life submitted to Jesus and indwelled by the Spirit and living out the character of Jesus is if we examine our lives and, and, and we see fruit that is consistent with life in God's kingdom. Verse 21. Now we shift gears. This really could have been two sermons. We have the, the, verse, the passages we've already covered where we have an opportunity to be discerning about potential false prophets. And now Jesus has another topic for us, another opportunity to be discerning, but this time, again, to look inward and to consider not about false prophets, but about the potential for there to be false disciples, false followers of Jesus. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So in addition to watching out for false prophets, false teachers, we need to be aware of the possibility of false disciples. Just saying, Lord, Lord, just saying, Jesus, Jesus, is according to Jesus right here, is, may not indicate a heart that is truly repentant of, and wants to move away from self and sin and move toward God. Apparently just saying, Lord, Lord, isn't enough proof. Because Jesus himself is saying, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, uh, Lord, Lord, may not indicate a person who is trusting Jesus as master, who has received God's gift of salvation by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. But who does enter the kingdom, according to Jesus in verse 21? The one who does the will of my Father. Those that, that obey God. Those that obey the ways of Jesus. We've been teaching for many weeks now through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And this is just one example, one area of Scripture that gives us an idea of what kingdom life looks like. What lives that are changed by Jesus look like. We've been studying all these sections of, of the Sermon on the Mount to see what a life changed by Jesus looks like, what, what kind of things we're living out. And it's obedience to the ways of Jesus that is, the, that is according to the will of the Father. Kingdom life is right living. This is always a, 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 a silly but fun way to think about it. What do followers of Jesus do? Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. We are saved by grace, not our own efforts. We, as we follow Jesus, he is transforming us and making us into new people, giving us a new heart, a new mind, a new attitude, and new desires. As we follow Jesus, he lives within us by the Holy Spirit and he enables and empowers us to live for him. We at first get overwhelmed by thinking about the Sermon on the Mount and what right living looks like and what kingdom life looks like. And we think, I'm not sure I can do that. And then we go, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus who has God himself, the Holy Spirit living within me, enabling me and empowering me to live out the ways of Jesus. 
You can do it, church family. As a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God living within you, enabling you to obey. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of the Father. Verse 22. On that day, Jesus continues here, on that day, many will come to me and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your, everybody say your name. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons, say it, in your name and do many mighty works in your name, they might come to Jesus and they might say, look at all these things that I've been doing and they might be good things. But as we've talked about earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes there's good things done for the wrong motives. Perhaps these are people that are desiring to impress others with flashy religious behavior. Besides that, mighty works, these mighty spectacular works are probably not an adequate enough proof of whether God is at work because frankly, these miraculous, these miraculous, these fake miraculous kinds of spectacular works can come from other places like the work of evil or human trickery. The best indicator, followers of Jesus do what? Follow Jesus. The best indicator of a, of a true follower of Jesus is, is inward change, not outward showiness. Yes, there will be things that God enables us to do. Yes, there will be ways that we can care for others and be conduits of God's love. But the best indicator uh, of an authentic follower of Jesus is someone who has submitted their life to Jesus and is being changed from the inside out, not showing off for the approval of humans. And so the challenge of these verses for, for churchgoers, we gathered here this morning like we, many of us always do, and we're singing songs and we're hearing God's word, and, and we're being reminded that Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, What does God want to do? How does God want to challenge us? How does God want to bring our hearts to him? How do we need to recognize that we cannot save ourselves but need him? We recite verses about Jesus. We sing songs to Jesus. Maybe even serve Jesus, serve others in the name of Jesus. But church family, if we're, if we're taking Jesus' words seriously, then we need to be uh, cautioned here that God is not impressed by religious behavior and the fact that we can speak Christianese. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. God may not be impressed by our religious behavior and just the fact that we can speak Christianese. What matters is heart change that we come to the end of ourselves, that we recognize we cannot possibly match up to God's standard, that we cannot rescue ourselves, that there's, that there's no amounts of things we can do or say to earn God's love, and instead, we, and coming to the end of ourselves, we surrender, we give our lives to Jesus, we recognize him as God's own son and savior of the world, and we recognize him as master of our lives and give our lives to him by putting our faith and trust in him. Because the alternative, verse 23, 
The alternative is Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Depart from me. There is a ser- is serious language. Jesus indicating that he has the power to condemn to hell, something that only God can do. And Jesus is saying, I'm God in the flesh. I have the power and the authority to send you, to tell you to depart from me. This is a stark, this passage is a stark rejection of someone who is not a true disciple of Jesus. Someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus. Someone who does not know Jesus and so that Jesus knows them. There are those that appear to be disciples who can speak the language, who can act and fit into the crowd, but are not truly saved. Who have not given their heart and life to Jesus as master. There is the potential for playing Christian, for playing church, for doing religious things, for using religious language without ever having actually given our hearts and lives over to Jesus. So when it comes to our spiritual need, when it comes to salvation, if we have interest in being part of God's family, if we have need for forgiveness of sin, if we recognize that we cannot save ourselves but need a savior, if we recognize that on our own, left to our own ways, our own rebellion, our own going against God, that we are doomed, when it comes to our spiritual need, our need for salvation, if we have a desire to find and follow God in our lives, church family, it's not just do Christian things so people will think you're a good person. It's not just, um, you know what, I need a little religion, I think that would be helpful for my kids. It's not, well, maybe if I do enough, maybe if I act a certain way, maybe if I pull it together, maybe if I try harder, maybe God will accept me. It's not those things. And it's not, hey, I have a busy life. I got a lot going on. I got a lot of things that are really important to me that I'm not going to give up. But you know what? I'll add a little bit of church and hope for the best at the end of time. It's not... I can let everything dominate my life and put all this time and energy and focus into all these other things that are, that are on my radar and my preference and my, and then go, yeah, let me just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus and maybe he'll know me when it counts. The God of the universe is the creator of all things. And he created you. And as God, the creator of the universe, is a relational being who lives in eternity in relationship, he created you to be in relationship, yes, with others, but get this, with him. He created all things, including you, to be in relationship with him. And then our first 
parents, Adam and Eve, it seems like we could blame it on them. But you know what? Put yourself in their shoes. We do the same thing. Our first Adam and Eve sinned against God. They went their own way. They put themselves in God's role. You and I would do the same thing. Each of us humans, myself included, is sinful by nature. It's inherited. It's from birth. And we're sinful by choice. Because put in the situations, we too would choose our own way. And our sinfulness has mucked up, has marred, has dented, has harmed that relationship that God wants with us. It's interfering. God, creator of all, created you to be in relationship with him. And yet our sin, our rebellion against him is interfering, is mucking up, is, is muddying the waters of our life with him. And God didn't leave it there. He said, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. I love them. I want to be in, I created them. I created them to be in relationship with them. They've mucked it all up. They're going their own way. I could do something else instead. I'm going to send a rescuer. I'm going to send my own son who's going to live the life that they cannot live. That's going to die the death they deserve. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise my son to new life. And I'm just going to show how awesome it is and how, how the potential they have of new life. The new life of Jesus shows us that we too can have life. Life now, rich, full, meaningful, abundant life as we follow Jesus now. And yes, life eternal with him in his presence forever. We have a God who is the creator of all who created you to be in relationship with him. Our sinfulness messes it up, but God didn't leave us there. Our salvation is not based on what we do. Our salvation is based on what Jesus has already done. The gospel is the spectacular news that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then it's not about what we do. It's about what God has already done through his son on the cross. And so salvation is God's gift of grace. It's God's amazing, loving, open arms extending to you his gift of grace, his gift of salvation that includes forgiveness and being made right with God and being adopted into his family and having life with him now and forever. That is a gift of grace that we receive simply by putting our trust in Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's about what God has already done for us through Jesus on the cross. We receive the free gift of salvation by putting our trust in Jesus, by not deciding to, that I'm not in charge of my own life, that I can try really hard, but it's not going anywhere, that I've come to the end of myself and recognize that just trying hard is not going to get me any brownie points with God. And so I'm throwing myself at the mercy of God going, yes, Lord Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the savior. Save me. And not just once when you first begin walking with Jesus, but that might need to be a daily occurrence, right? Jesus, save me. Change me. Use me, shape me, mold me. Not only does God's gift of salvation save us out of hell and into life, out of darkness and into light, not only are we saved, but God's salvation is a transformational process that's making us into new people, his people, people that, oh, by the way, as we talked about a few minutes ago in the sermon, it, what's increasingly true, the fruit of our life is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. I didn't say perfectly, and I didn't say all the time. 
But as you're a follower of Jesus, submitted to him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, what will be true of your life will be those, that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. You got it. More of that. Increasing of that. So not only are we saved, but we're being transformed. And, and not only is he telling us how to live a kingdom life in the Sermon on the Mount, but he's giving us his very self, the Holy Spirit living within, so that we can be empowered to live for him. Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us. Father, as always, we so need you. As we come to scriptures like this, Father, we need you to work in our hearts and minds. We want to be aware and discerning. We don't want to judge. We don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to put ourselves in the place of God. But, but yes, we do need you, Lord, to teach us how to be discerning, how to examine the fruit of the voices we listen to, of the influences around us. God, may you help us with discernment as we examine the fruit of lives and words so that we are not led astray. And Father, we don't want to just play church. We don't want to mess with Jesus' words in this passage that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. We want to go beyond speaking Christianese. We want to go beyond religious behaviors. We want to go beyond our desire to look good before other humans. So God, may our discipleship not be fake. May we not be pretend Christians. God, I pray for myself and others that we would know how much we need you. That we would repent of our old life, our old ways, our rebelliousness of you, uh, against you, and turn to you. That we would repent of our old life and look to you for new life. I pray that we would not try to accomplish things in our own power, but recognize that it's Jesus who saves and transforms and empowers. So God, as we continue now in our, our time together on this, this morning, we pray that we would be shaped by your words, that Jesus' words would, would sink through, that we might uh, be convinced that he is Lord and desire to live for him. And out of thankfulness for his work on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, God, may our lives overflow with thankfulness in so many ways. May we lift our voices to you in song. We come to you in prayer. We offer our financial offerings as a thankfulness to you for all that you've done for us. And even more so, God, we offer our lives. Use us as you see fit. Teach us to come before you each and every day with a posture of openness, with a, with a desire to serve you, with a desire to do your will, with a desire to live out the ways of Jesus, not on our own strength, but by, by your power. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.